Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM. Hello everyone and welcome to Time Out with Troy. My name is Troy Langstaff. Today on the show, we have some Queen's sports updates, including the U Sports Female Apprentice Coach Program, and an update on the Shoot for the Cure campaign that I talked about with Emma Ritzy of the basketball team just a few short weeks ago. After that, I sit down with one of my friends and host of the Bottom Line View YouTube channel, Mitch Mullaney, to talk about some NFL free agency. But first, on this day in history, to stick with the football theme that we'll be talking about later, Back in 1956, Hall of Fame tight end Ozzie Newsome was born. Haven't done any birthdays uh, so far in this series, but happy birthday, Ozzie Newsome turned 66 today. He played tight end for the Browns from 1978 to 1990. He was selected to three Pro Bowls, Pro Bowls in his career, and he ranks top 10 all-time in receptions and receiving yards among tight ends. So, U Sports News. In celebration of International Women's Day, which was last Monday, March the 8th, U Sports has announced the 18 former student athletes who have been selected for the 2021-22 U Sports Female Apprentice Coach Program. And from Queen's University, Nicole Barnard, the former Gales player and now assistant coach, was selected as one of the 18 apprentice coaches. Barnard joins the coaching joined the coaching staff with Queens back in 2017 and is one of four basketball coaches to be selected. There were a total of 46 applicants this year, which was nearly double from the inaugural campaign just a couple years ago. And there's a total of, like I mentioned, 18 apprentice coaches selected for the second consecutive year in a row. What this program involves is that the duties of these 18 former uh, student athletes, now coaches, will, of course, going to vary due to the COVID uh, pandemic, but each apprentice coach is going to have to attend at least one national coaching certification program, and they're going to have the option to also take additional professional development courses and seminars in the field of coaching. Coaching. So the program aims to increase the number of females in coaching positions across Canadian universities by matching these apprentice coaches, who of course have recently graduated, with a head coach in one of the 11 new sports sanctioned sports. Now, this is what Liz Lizette Johnson-Stapley, Chief Sports Officer at U-Sports, had to say about the program, and quote, We're excited to continue to build our female apprentice coach program. Despite the unprecedented challenges faced in the program's inaugural year, this initiative is already opening new doors, providing the tools for further coaching development and education in Canadian university sport, and fostering success to our proud alumni who aspire to become coaches themselves in the near future, end quote. So great stuff there, and congratulations, Nicole. We wish all the best in that new apprentice coach program. And now an update on the Shoot for the Cure. As I mentioned, I talked about um, this Shoot for the Cure campaign with Emma Ritzy of the basketball team just a couple weeks ago, and U Sports proudly announced two weeks ago to the day, actually, that they raised over $117,000 for the Canadian Cancer Society. That's absolutely awesome. This, of course, was all it was entirely a digital campaign. This was the 14th annual Shoot for the Cure um, campaign. It was held at the beginning of February. And more specifically, the Queen's University basketball team to date has raised over $7,000. So you can still raise funds. You can go online and search for um, how to do that. I'm sure it's still in the basketball team's bio. I think that's what Emma said. So they're still raising money. Like I said, raised over $7,000 today, which is the second highest amount for any team in the country and the highest for Ontario. So way to go, uh, the basketball team. Congratulations. That's absolutely awesome. 
Also, more specifically, this season's total was over $123,000, and the cumulative total is now over $1.57 million raised since the inaugural, I guess, campaign back in 2007-2008 to raise awareness and money to fight breast cancer. The Shoot for the Cure project manager and head coach of the UNB Reds, Jeff Speedy, had this to say about the program, quote, To raise this amount of money in such a tough year without any games or in-person interaction with our fans is amazing. I am blown away with the engagement and effort by our student athletes, coaches, and administrators from across the country. We can all make a difference one donation at a time, and a lot of people have chosen to make that donation. End quote. So these totals came from the week-long initiative at the beginning of February from the 1st to the 7th in place of on-campus activities and the traditional youth sports final eight check presentation due to COVID, of course. But the types of activities that the teams were doing that Emma said that, you know, the Queens basketball team was doing included uh, skills competitions, haircutting, trivia nights, auctions, fitness classes, etc., of course, including raffles and 50-50 draws. Yes, these were all held virtually, like I mentioned earlier. And a handful of U-Sports members also plan to hold additional events later this month. And then after those events are completed, then the official totals will be confirmed. So congratulations to Nicole once again on the Apprentice Coach Program and the Queens Gales women's basketball team. Way to go, guys. Now, I'd like to welcome to the show host of the Bottom Line View YouTube channel with over 29,000 subscribers and co-host of the new Juke podcast, Mitch Mullaney. Mitch, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes, the NFL. That's all I do. That's all I talk about, bro. (laughs) You've been so busy the last few days. Yeah, it's been crazy. A lot of videos, a lot of content. Yeah, I bet. So, you know, normally on the show... I try not to to focus on one specific sport, but it seems like over the last few weeks, that's becoming a trend or a theme. There was lots of movement, lots of signings over the last few days. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on some of the more notable moves. Of course, we're not going to have enough time to go over everything. So like I mentioned to you before we started recording here, I've structured it to focus on the moves of four specific teams, those being my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers, your favorite team, the New England Patriots, the reigning champion Buccaneers, and the New Orleans Saints. So we'll start with the Green Bay Packers. They've just re-signed Aaron Jones, who would have been the top running back on the market in free agency. Um, A lot of people were expecting him to sign for a lot more, but the Packers weren't able to give him as much, so he was willing to take a bit of a pay cut to stay in Green Bay. They also got rid of Corey Lindsley. Well, not got rid of him. He signed with the Chargers, five years, $62.5 million, makes him the highest paid center in NFL history. Now, my question for you is, with the departure of Lindsley, how much of an impact is that going to have on Jones and the Green Bay running game as a whole? Well, Corey Lindsley is, in my opinion, the best center in football. There's a reason he was paid what he was paid. It's because he's really good at playing center and really good at football. But the thing is, with the Packers, before Corey Lindsley, they had a man named J.C. Treader, who's now on the Cleveland Browns. Both players are very good players. It feels like the Packers are very good at replacing that position or finding that talent through the draft and finding steals. The reason I feel they re-signed Jones, but they didn't re-sign Lindsley is because they feel one is more replaceable than the other to the impact of their running game. 
Aaron Jones is an explosive running back. And while I'm not a believer in paying long-term for a running back, his ability to break long runs and big plays as well as his ability as a receiver is huge. Yes, it's going to impact in the short term, but I do believe that the Packers are still going to have a very good running game. And they brought in A.J. Dillon last year through the draft second round pick. They're expecting that combination of speed and power to really be what they're about in their running game. Yeah, that's a good point that you made about uh, that second round pick, A.J. Dillon. I know a lot of people were upset. I guess Green Bay fans were maybe a little bit upset on possibly of wasting that yeah. uh, second round pick on A.J. Dillon. Do you think that was a waste or do you think it's going to be a good combination between Jones and Dillon, like you said, with the speed and the power? I think there's a difference between it being a waste and it being not what you would have done. Right. So if it was me, I may not have spent the pick on A.J. Dillon. I may have spent the pick on Chase Claypool or a wide receiver in the draft to surround Aaron Rodgers because I feel that's one of their weaknesses for the Packers is somebody other than Devontae Adams to throw the football to. But at the same time, you have to look at the situation right now as it is. A.J. Dillon's a unique specimen. He's big, he's powerful, he's tough, especially in Lambeau where it's going to be cold and snowy. Having yeah. a guy like that is very important. So there are pros and cons to the move. Yeah, and I just got I guess you just got to really level those out and take your pick. There's no way of knowing what's how it's going to pan out, so I guess exactly. they'll, we'll see how it works out. Uh moving on to the Patriots, your favorite team. They made a ton of moves, Bill Belichick and the I guess the organization <laughs> as a whole was just throwing out bills on the first day of free agency. Dollar dollar bill. <laughs> so they re-signed or they signed Cam Newton to an extension. And I'm just going to go through some of the names here just for the sake of saying them. Uh, they signed tight end Hunter Henry, wide receivers Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, uh, linebacker Matt Judon, and tight end Jonu Smith. So you yourself being a Pats fan, which of these signings are you most excited about and which one in your opinion is going to have the greatest impact on the team? That's interesting because I almost feel like that's two different answers. I think what I'm most excited for <laughs> is to see the combination of tight ends. Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry, I think just the chess pieces that tight ends offer an offense without getting too NFL nerdy here. You can dictate matchups to a defense based on having tight ends because tight ends are players that are big, yet they're athletic, they can block, and they can receive the football. So... What does a defense do? Do they go big to defend the run or do they go small to defend the pass? And when you have two top 10 guys like that, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, is going to be able to come out in so many different personnel sets. You combine that with Cam Newton's ability to run and it becomes very dangerous in that end. So from a football side of things, I think the tight ends and what they can do and all the things they can do is most interesting and fascinating to me. The player that could have the biggest impact, if it's not one of those two, is definitely Matt Judon. Matt Judon's an underrated edge defender, pass rusher that can do everything well from Baltimore. He likely will lead the league in sacks or lead the team in sacks, my bad. And say, that's likely a bold be prediction. <laughs> yeah, one of the team's best defensive players right away because he really doesn't have a flaw in his game and he just suits the scheme of Belichick very, very well. Yeah, good points. Are you worried at all about the amount of years that these 
that the Pats signed these guys for at least two years for all of them. Two of them are four years with Jonu and or with Judon and Smith. I don't think so. I think actually we're going to look back at this offseason. This is a bold prediction here. Let's hear it. I think we're going to look back at this offseason as being a Bill Belichick masterclass because you have to consider the cap space of this season. So the cap went down significantly this year. So paying up for players this year is not like playing paying up for players next year because all the money, all the revenue that's going to come in from the new TV contracts or the new broadcast contracts, it's just going to raise the cap. So these players that maybe look like they're making some money here or some a good tenure, it feels like that is not going to look the way that we think in a year or two down the road. Right. And when you actually dive into those contracts, the first season of those contracts is actually the smallest portion of money that they're they're going to make. That's a really good point. With like I think a bunch of like casual fans for the NFL, that's something that they would definitely overlook. So I'm glad you brought that up actually. Another quick question I guess here with the Patriots. I know it was an off year for Newton last season, I guess you could say. I know he led the league in rushing touchdowns by a quarterback with 12. But are you worried? Like, what do you think? Because I know that was, right, like I said, only a one-year, $14 million deal. Are you worried about the QB situation for the Patriots? I know a lot of fans are. Personally, I am not. I'm a big Cam guy. I've always loved Cam. I think what Cam brings to a team is more than simply a football player. I think one of the more underrated parts of Cam is he is an excellent leader. And players play for him and players, you know, fight for him. And he's a charismatic just personality and guys want to play hard. So that's the first thing. And I think that's something since losing Tom Brady is a big deal because Tom Brady is arguably the best leader of all time in like any sport. So replacing that element is huge on its own. But then you have Cam who last year, I think there were a lot of elements for why he may have struggled specifically as a passer. As you said, as a runner, he was good. As a passer, right, he's having to learn a system that's 20 years ahead of him with Tom Brady and this full playbook, and he's just coming in. And then he comes in in August, so he has like a couple weeks to learn it, Yeah, (laughs) and it's all new terminology. It's all new wording and phrasing and all that stuff. And then he gets COVID in like week four or week five, and then he's way behind the eight ball. And then on top of that, he has no (laughs) real targets, which is why they're out there signing wide receivers and tight ends and everybody. So I think Cam got a very bad, raw deal last year. The fact that, you know, he had to sign with the Patriots because that was his only option. And then he did well, really, for a good portion of the season, considering the circumstances. I think with a full offseason to learn the playbook, learn the players, learn the offense, and then get healthy is another thing, is he's going to look closer to prime form than maybe he looked last year. Yeah, those are some real, definitely agree that those are some real bad cards that were dealt to him last season. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with these signings and his health that really only looking up, I guess. Uh, moving on to the defending Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not much movement, but they re-signed a lot of guys. Tom Brady, one-year extension. Gronk re-signed with the Bucks, And they also brought back Shaq Barrett and Levante David. Now, pretty simple question for you is, are they going back-to-back? They can. <laughs> I think if you look at it right now, their roster is 
I don't want to say by far, but I'm going to say it's by far the best roster in the NFL. They're good on defense. They're good on offense. They have an elite quarterback. They have a good coaching staff who they didn't lose anybody. That's also important. Their offensive line's intact. Their defensive line's intact. They barely got going last year and won the Super Bowl. This team wasn't playing well for a majority of the year when 11-5 and five made the playoffs, found a rhythm, and then destroyed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So, yes, as long as Tom Brady can sustain his level of play at his old age and this defense can still be pretty good, like elite level, they're going to be right in the mix. I have no reason to believe they will not. I actually think during the regular season this year, We'll see about the playoffs because sometimes teams can fall off trying to go for back to back. Mm -hmm. But during the regular season, I think they're going to be real tough. Like they're going to be hitting a stride because now Tom Brady, another year in the offense and all that. But they still got to resign. Maybe, you know, Antonio Brown, Adama can sue a couple pieces that they would like to have back. Yeah, I was going to say those pieces are, are big pieces too. Um what was it? Oh yeah, you mentioned the point about Brady possibly, right. you know, sustaining his level of play with his old age. I think he's proven that he can <laughs> still play at this old you age. You never know. <laughs> he's turning 44 in August, which is just ludicrous to think that he's still playing, but I think with it's pretty safe to say that he'll still be good and a point another point that I wanted to make was like you said they finished 11 and 5 last season, but they didn't lose. Their last loss came in like week nine or 10 or something to the chiefs i think it was week 12 oh is that i think i thought it was a bit earlier but regardless that's like what six or seven straight wins to end the season maybe more than that Uh, moving on to the new orleans saints a lot of movement in the quarterback situation i guess with drew b drew Brees retiring 20 seasons in the nfl 15 as a saint they re-signed Jameis winston for one year worth up to $12 million and Taysom Hill. They restructured his contract to an insane four years, 140 million. I know none of that's gonna, he's not going to get any of that money. Do you want to, do you know enough to talk about what happened in that contract there? I do not know the specifics, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but I do know that this is a way for the saints to say, you got to prove yourself. If you want to stay on this team, you got to, if you want to stay as the quarterback, at least, right? I think a lot of teams would like to have Taysom Hill as a football player. But in terms of a quarterback, that's a different conversation entirely. And when you're talking about the quarterback position, that's a different money conversation entirely, right? So, yeah, I don't exactly know the terms and the details and things like that. But I will say with Taysom Hill, Sean Payton's had a crush on this guy for a long time. He (laughs) wants to prove people that this guy can play. This guy can do it as a quarterback. And it will be interesting to see how they do balance Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Yeah, I know just to go back to that contract there, like I have a note here. It says all years are voidable and they're doing it in order to to free up some cap space this year. Yeah, I know Hill started four regular season games last season when when Breeze got injured. He went three and one in those games. Jameis Winston only appeared in four games threw for 11 passes appeared in one play in the playoffs, throwing a, a touchdown on a trick play. Um, that quarterback situation will be interesting to see. Do you maybe have a favorite on who's going to come out on top there? I always go back to the end of the Bucks game. So at the end of the Bucks game, Drew Brees was on the sideline and Fox caught him saying, 
it's your team now. So I'm buying that. I think, you know, Drew Brees saying to Jameis Winston that it's your team now. I think it's Jameis Winston's team. I think Taysom Hill will remain in his Taysom Hill role, which is a do-it-all player playing a little tight end, playing a little on special teams, playing a little at quarterback. But I think the quarterback to take the majority of the snaps and throws will be Jameis Winston. I think they wanted to put him through a season of the playbook, the offense, right? Yeah. And... He is very talented. Like, I understand the whole 30 interceptions thing, but (laughs) he also threw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. So he has lots of talent, lots of arm talent, lots of ability. And in that offense with the best coach he's ever had, maybe they can rein him in in terms of the turnovers. I think Jameis is going to do better than people expect there. And the other thing to consider why he didn't play last year is because maybe they didn't want to show him off. Maybe they didn't because they knew he was a free agent. Interesting. Only one year. Maybe they were like, Taysom, you take these snaps. We're going to keep Jameis because we know we're minus $69 million in cap this year. So we got to <laughs> figure this out. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I know I you obviously know a lot more football um, than me, but I think I agree with you. I think Winston will sort of take the reins in the quarterback situation. Like you mentioned, Taysom Hill is very versatile and you can use him in a lot of different situations. But Winston, you know, proved himself with the Buccaneers earlier in his career that he can be successful. So it makes most sense, in my opinion, to see Winston sort of taking over as QB one there. Um, In terms of Drew Brees, I know you growing up big Pats fan, Brady and Brees, they were sort of those guys and Manning. They were like... Mm -hmm those quarterbacks in the NFL are you you sad to see Drew Brees go and sort of see the this that era of quarterbacks starting to dwindle down Troy it means I'm getting old that's what it means (laughs) we're getting old (laughs) I grew up you know Tom Brady Peyton Manning Drew Brees you go down the list Big Ben etc right and now they're all going and Drew Brees has been, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback, I would argue a top 10 quarterback of all time. But even the greatest of players, they have the end of days and and sometimes they know best when to leave. And I think this was the time for Drew Brees to say goodbye to the game. You just saw last year, like, and even in the last two, three years, his arm was extremely limited. He could not yeah. really throw the ball past 20, 25 yards. And when you can't do that as a, quarterback and defenses can key on that area of the field it makes a life of an offense and a play caller such as Sean Payton's very difficult so I think Drew Brees realized that you know what I can still throw the ball underneath and quick timing and all that forever but I'm not going to be able to be the same legend I was yeah and I'm sure you saw his you know Instagram post when he was his kid saying that he was retiring at the end of his little message there he said I'm not saying goodbye to New Orleans. He said, I'm saying goodbye to football, but not to New Orleans. He's signed a deal with NBC Sports to join the network as an analyst. Not sure when that's going to start. But I think it'll be pretty cool to still see him around the game, obviously, whether it be in an analyst role or whatever it may be. Yeah, Drew Brees is a very likable guy, I think. And i really intrigued to see what he brings to whatever he's doing, if it's color or just analysis because we've seen how successful Tony Romo has been. Yeah, exactly. There's been, those are the, I guess the four teams that I wanted to focus on. I have other 
quarterback news specifically, I think the the biggest non-signing of the week so far was the Bears and their huge offer for <laughs> Russell Wilson. Right. Um, that offer sort of included three first-round picks, a third-rounder, and two starters. Uh, Seattle was interested, but the decision to decline was ultimately made by head coach Pete Carroll rather than the GM, John Schneider. What would that have meant to the Bears' offense? Well, it would have made them better, obviously. Yeah. I still don't know like where I would rank the Bears. Let's say it's Russell Wilson instead of now Andy Dalton. Okay, Allen Robinson, I guess, would come back then in that instance. He's on the franchise tag. Yeah, I like some of their players there. Under the radar, David Montgomery at running back, and Darnell Mooney is a young receiver that I like. The offensive line is still – it's as bad as Seattle's. Like, I <laughs> I know that Russ wanted to get a, to a place that – this is why I didn't understand that Chicago was on his list because, like, the offense isn't in a good spot. Yeah. But I think the main attraction for him was Matt Nagy, who is the head coach and more of an offensive-minded guy. And I think right. Russell Wilson's kind of getting sick of – Pete Carroll's defensive ways, I guess. But when it's worked, it's worked. I keep saying about Russell Wilson, the grass ain't greener on the other side, bro. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, another interesting point that just popped up, I think it was yesterday. It was pretty recently. The Texans signing Tyrod Taylor for one year, $12.5 million. My first thought when I saw that was, does that mean Deshaun Watson is going for sure? I know he... <laughs> Definitely, clearly wants out of there but does that mean he's he's leaving or is that am I looking too far into that I don't think it means for sure that he's leaving I think it's kind of a couple things so it's insurance I think is the biggest thing so if he does leave we have a Tyrod Taylor who he started in the NFL he's played games like we wouldn't be in a terrible spot we could have a bridge type quarterback if we wanted to draft somebody that kind of thing. And, and Tyrod is not the quarterback Deshaun is, but what they do have in common is they're both mobile, right? They can move around, yeah. they can escape pressure, that sort of thing. So they have some similarities in that regard. I, I think Deshaun Watson will ultimately be traded, but I just, I don't necessarily think it's like a hundred percent. I think part of it was also to incentivize Deshaun Watson to come back because the Texans and Nick Casario, the general manager now who came from New England, is saying, hey, we've got Tyrod Taylor here. So you know what? Like, you hurry back because we've got a guy that can take your spot. So that is also a good point that I hadn't thought of. You know, moving into some guys that haven't been signed, is there anyone on your radar that you're surprised hasn't been picked up yet? I think the big name that just comes to mind is Kenny Galladay, wide receiver, the Detroit Lions. I think Kenny Galladay was the best receiver on the market. Chris Godwin got franchised by the Bucks, and Allen Robinson also got franchised by the Bears. Kenny Galladay was the best remaining receiver there. He is still fairly young. I think he's 26 or 27. He's right in his prime. He's a big play wide receiver. And just knowing that a lot of the NFL could always use a wide receiver – it's fascinating to see that he has not been signed, but it could be, at least the reports are indicating that it could be because maybe his number is too high and he's not willing to move off of that. Yeah, that's a good point. My last point here, I guess we have enough time for to quickly touch on the Bears signing Andy Dalton, as we both previously mentioned earlier. Uh, one year, $10 million, possibly the chance to get another $3 million through incentives. 
I am kind of happy to see him come into the NFC North. I don't think that's going to put much of a threat to the Packers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I just, you look at Andy Dalton, I would rather have Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky, like I just mentioned, their offensive line's not very good. So if you have an offensive line that's not very good, you combine that with a quarterback that can't move. You don't really have receivers that are all that great. And you saw Andy Dalton last year. He had a top receiving core. Dallas's receiving core is loaded. They've got weapons galore. Mm-hmm. And now you go to Chicago. I understand he has familiarity with the offense. There's some coaches in there that worked with him in Cincinnati. But he's a backup. Like nowadays at his older age, he is a high-end backup. And that's what you'd pay him for. He is no longer a starter. I think we can both agree that it's a good sign for the other three teams in that division. <laughs> Definitely. Although I think Detroit, by trading Matthew Stafford, has kind of already given up on this year anyway. So let's just stick to the Packers and the Vikings. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, that, I think that's a good way to, to end it here. And I told you that, you know, we'll end the show with an On This Day in History, keeping it with the football theme back in 1970. NFL selects Wilson as the official football and scoreboard as official time. So there's Interesting. some your your quick stat for the day. Did not so, know that. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? That's all the time we have on the NFL and free agency. The, the signings just keep coming in. So thank you, Mitch, so much for joining me. Anytime, man. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone, and take care.